0: Hello and welcome to Abana Talks, I'm Abana and I'm your host and on this podcast we talk about entrepreneurship, we talk about personal development and we talk about living your purpose and today we're going to be talking to Sophia Leach from the UK, Um, she's the founder of the Black Card Lottery and an award-winning retail expert as well. Once again I'm Abana, I'm your host and I'm a content creator and entrepreneur so let's get into this. Hello
1: there, welcome, Sophia. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. So, for the purpose of our listeners, yeah, Sophia, let's um, do a quick blurb, quick, quick thirty second blurb. I've already, I've already done an intro, so you can just do a quick thirty second blurb about yourself.
2: Okay. All right. So I'm Sophia Leach. I am a retail expert. Um, of over twenty years, I have now kind of delved into the idea that I need to do a lot more for my community, that being the Black community. And so, I am the proud founder of the Black Card Lottery, which is the UK's first Black-owned, fully licensed with the Gambling Commission license um, uh, lottery.
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, we've actually already had a little chat on Instagram, haven't we, for Women in Business Rock? Um, so. We're kind of going to be talking a little bit more about you today. Okay. Um, And also delving deep a bit more into the Black Card Lottery as well. And so for the first uh, part of the interview, I want to do this. um, It's like a bit of an icebreaker. Sure. Um, I was going to do it in the previous one, but I just decided to do it for this one instead. It's quite strange, but just listen up. Like, listen So. Okay, so right. so take your name Sophia uh-huh. yeah and take each letter of your name and okay. describe yourself as an entrepreneur.
2: Oh okay okay, so my my okay my name all right so s would be for um, I'm a strategist so um, whatever I, I tend to do is usually just trying to find a solution so whatever the problem is there is a way to get around it so i would break it down into um whether it be a i find the problem whatever the block is whatever the challenge is and then i look for the solution and yeah so that would be me strategist um oh uh again i would say an observer so i do not tend to be the loudest person in the room i usually am the one that will be sitting back and again strategizing of how we can fix a problem um i usually can look at an, uh any issue with multiple um multifaceted um vision um yeah observer um p p p p, p, p. um
1: i think p, it's a difficult one p
2: p i would say oh persistent Persistent, yeah, P, persistent. Um, to get the lottery license in the first place was supposed to be a 14 month ordeal. It ended up being a 57 week ordeal. Um, wow. Yeah. So th- there were so many doors closed in my face. So, yeah, you have to be persistent. Definitely. I wouldn't have survived otherwise. Um, H would be honest. Um, I'm honest to a fault. I tend to try and not have people ask me questions if they did not like the answer I'm going to give them so um but everything I try I try to do is to be transparent honest with whatever I'm doing um so yeah honest and earnest yeah uh I I oh um ba, I I I I um I would say uh oh that stunts me I that's um, the purpose of it. This question, Like <laughs> to get you thinking.
1: <laughs> I
2: know. Uh, the whole I point. describe me. Um, oh, I think I'm. I would probably say. This, yeah, I'll say I'm idealistic in a sense, and I, I put it down to a fault. Like I always see the, the, the bigger picture, and I, I have a very clear understanding of my kind of ideology about things. Um, and it's not to say that I'm not, you know, flexible with my opinions, but I tend to stick with that and that's what kind of drives me for whatever I'm doing and that would be my driving force, so my ideals, so I'd say that. Um, oof, I don't know where I got that one from, but, yeah, that's me. Um, A. 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 A would be... A would be... A. A. Um. Hmm. Oh, hey. Oh, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think of hey, uh, A. Uh bit of I'm, thinking
1: today, isn't it? Bit of yeah. thinking.
2: I I have, I've never I've never done this so and I'm not very good at kind of like describing myself to be fair. So this is yeah. a this is a, it's good, a good one it's good. It, good, it's good. It, it, it is. Um I would say and this is a bit odd but ancestral in the fact that Ooh. a lot of what I do I do think of who was before me to kind of give me guidance mm-hmm. be okay. like I think of my grand. what would my grand do she's no longer with us, special soul and so I do think of that but then I do think of my idols like Maggie um uh, Maggie L Walker how she got the first the first bank and how she charted that first um president so I do think very ancestrally so i don't feel so alone um and so yeah so actually a loner i am an i am i am always alone i feel alone most of the time so that's probably why i do look for um comfort in ancest and my kind of like my ancestors sophia wow i've
1: I've never actually heard that response before i've never i've never heard someone actually describe themselves as an entrepreneur like that ancestral i think that's actually quite poignant that's quite poignant because that's a, that's one thing about entrepreneurship that a lot of people do struggle with, and that is being feeling alone.
2: Yeah, it is lonely. It really, it really is. Cause you um, especially because I come from a corporate world, when you know there was I could always bounce ideas off somebody. There's always somebody in a department, there's always someone at the end of the phone, there's someone to talk to. So when you, you know, you sometimes don't know if you're you're pivoting in the right direction, you don't know if your just de- your decisions are are valid, um, mm-hmm. you can't pass it over to someone and say, it's not my department, darling, you've got to go to marketing. No, it's everything is on you um, and and that's quite different. So sometimes you do need to kind of look back and see what others before you did and how they, what characteristics they had so you can try and embody them the best you can to, to do what's necessary, the task at hand. Mm-hmm.
1: That's brilliant, that is. I think you, um, you've you already mentioned your idol, like from the past yeah do you have anyone like from the present that you can actually think of
2: um that inspires you that inspires me um i'd have a few actually um uh i do have a few i do have i would say the closest right now would actually be um it's quite different it's, it's jay-z the rapper um for a few reasons That's-
1: that's yeah. completely understandable though jay-z i mean yeah,
2: yeah. And, and but but for me it's it's not always for the reasons why most people would think because i like his management company so that's what i'm inspired by not i, I know he's a talented individual all that great mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. but it's actually how he manages people and other talents and the fact Artist, that his, yeah yeah and he he allows them to to grow within his in his industry and the reason why for me I was I've always been quite a, a comparative learner so I always look at I usually take an A and B um uh, uh, subject and analyze them against each other so when I analyze him against like someone like Puff Daddy I have not that much respect for Puff Daddy because Puff Daddy. you know there's not many people around him that resist, are, are as successful if not more successful than he is he doesn't seem to surround himself with people or he doesn't create um, an environment for people to be as great as him where that's what Jay-Z does.
1: Mm. I think with Puff Daddy, he's got a little bit more ego. So he kind of wants people to be um, slightly beneath him. Yeah. So that he can kind of, I don't know if that's the right thing to say, that, actually, on in a public domain. But, yeah, um...
2: <laughs> but, that, that, but in comparison to each other, that's what you see. And, and you know, what evidence mm. kind of shows, if you just look at the artists that come from both camps, there is a very different, there's a big difference. You've got full-on mm. moguls. You've got you've got Rihanna, who's a full-on mogul.
1: Full-on mogul.
2: Moving on to other elements, um, other, uh, you know, industries.
1: Industries, and, yeah
2: he makes sure that people don't stick to one thing that he makes sure that they um diversify their their, their skill sets and their portfolio and their revenue stream he's he's really good at doing that um he's also mm-hmm. um he's got great qualities I just think as a person he he he, he believes in he's not successful if he's the only one who's, who has success and that's how mm-hmm. I and so um yeah, I, I, I have a lot of respect for people like that. So he's somebody that I kind of look at and think, oh, okay, okay, he's diversifying this way, he does this, he does that, and mm-hmm. and just he's, and you know what's funny because I think because I was in a industry where I was in the beauty industry retail and a lot of things were based on how you looked. And I noticed that when I actually decided to go natural and I changed my hair and I really embodied and again going ancestrally, what that felt like. Um, I was treated differently and so seeing somebody like him with his natural hair growing mm-hmm. how heck it wants to I love that freedom and that that um, almost uh little small act of act- activism I am who I am and I run a room and I look like this and I run every room and you know and dominate every room I'm in looking like this and I I kind of love that feeling and that's what my locks mean to me now.
1: He's a true artist, isn't he? I know we've, we've kind of delved into talking about Jay-Z, <laughs> but yeah. it's actually really I think I find it to be really important what you've brought up here about the natural hair as well because mm-hmm. I experienced exactly the same thing, even though my hair, like I've had I've had three sets of locks. Yeah. My sister's got really long blonde locks. She's an artist, she's got long blonde locks. And the same thing happened to her. Like sort of she was perceived differently. When I grew my locks and I was in the UK, um, like I didn't really get that much backlash, but when I came here mm. to Ghana, mm. <laughs> you know, people th- people thought I was a drug dealer. Wow. <laughs> Literally, yeah. They just th- they think that you're either a drug dealer or a an armed robber, or uh, any uh, of that kind of.
2: Yeah, I went criminal, f- with individuals. Um, you know, my my reviews would always be the same thing. as, you know, my my numbers you know spoke for themselves. I was always uh, you know at the top of most tables um, and, and award-winning but it would be the same things my bosses who were uncomfortable around me would say you know oh you're super you know really too nice you're too this you're too and it was always because I could do things with with a spoonful of sugar instead of it being sour it was different I was a different type of manager I was more of a nurturer and I'd find out what makes you tick so that I can get the best out of you um, and there's been times in my past where people have wanted me to manage somebody out of the business, but I would take a different approach where let me delve into what makes somebody tick and what makes them happy and see if we can put those qualities into their role. So just giving you an example, I had a young lady who worked for me and she, they deemed her as problematic. I just deemed her as a free spirit, but yes, she needs to have direction. So I found out she loves to, she was an artist. She actually loved to draw and she was amazing at it. So I just got her to do um, a weekly kind of artistic <clears throat> kind of a display on our chalkboard outside. That What would that do? Bring in customers. Customers would then compliment the board. She then gets that kind of validation that her work is good, mm. and
0: little
2: tiny things. And then she completely turned around to be one of the best people in the business. So, so, you know, so for me, I was always told I was too nice. And then when my hair changed, I was then... Um, oh, don't, don't be aggressive. I thought I thought you used to call that passion, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's gone now. It's aggression. So um, it yeah, a lot can change with your appearance when you kind of become really embodied in your culture. Sometimes your culture. it's always like a a bit of a um a, a bit of a, a, a not even a, a time of understanding and a time of acceptance and mm-hmm. a ad- and and not from my point of view. It was from theirs because I wasn't going to change. But yeah. It's, it's, it's something to be yourself Is mm. Do you think that's one of the reasons
1: why more and more black women are turning to entrepreneur, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial uh, uh, way of life as opposed to sort of going straight from university and straight or college and going straight into, co- into the corporate world? Do you think that's one of the reasons? Because I've been reading about this quite a lot about female entrepreneurship um, and black women are at the top when it comes mm-hmm. to female entrepreneurship not necessarily with success but yeah. in terms of um the percentage of uh women that are going mm-hmm. into entrepreneurship it's black black women are at the top i, I think, think it's about five percent now in, in america i don't know about the uk though
2: i think so i think there's i think there's uh, i think it's a layered conversation because i think one the the conversations and i think because being the women we it's hard for us we've already got sexism going against us um Mm -hmm. then we have just being black and being you know slightly different and it's and it's always the conversations of when your hair changes from you know week to week day to day that's always Mm -hmm. a conversation and and as much as my hair is part of my identity it's not all and be all of me so it's not going to be the only conversation we can sit down and have or it has to be the you know forefront i don't look at somebody else and go straight to oh look you've trimmed your hair or you know so it's it's um that can be frustrating but i also think it's down to the fact that we are we we definitely know there's a pay gap one we definitely know that when it comes to you know wanting to have kids, we have to almost start from scratch again to be um, the, in the workplace and and to be well, taking yeah. that you're trying to obviously progress within whatever um, corporate world you're in. Um, mm-hmm. That and for me, that was my my two reasons was that I was having having a, a little one, a second um, young boy, and I I could no longer. Um, cope with having this backward mindset that with my two young boys there was always a a chance where I felt like I was going to be losing my job and um, because I was you know pregnant or or I wanted to have a full maternity um, leave so that was my reasons I was able to kind of negate a lot of the conversations with my hair because I would stop them dead (laughs) but (laughs) but respectively like you know, I, I would just, I would tell people when they met me, my hair's going to change a lot. I, uh, you know, I was doing this. I'm going to probably dye it one day. It's going to be probably shaved another day. You know, let's just move on it. Let's, let's get, get past that. Let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> you know, because it would, it, that would be my, my main irritation at work would be my hair. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I had to nip that in the bud quickly. I used to show people that look, I had a folder on my phone of just the photos, let them get a good look. This is the change in faces of Sophia. And then move on. (laughs) (laughs) Work.
1: (laughs) Okay, so so right, we're gonna go into the black card lottery soon in a minute, but I I just want because you've already talked about a a bit about retail and that you was in retail, but I want I want you to just give a little bit of a, a, you know, quite short though, but a little bit of a timeline, Mm. um, where you actually came from right up until now, so the listeners can really understand you Mm. as a. Sure. As a person, as an entrepreneur, as a mum, everything.
2: Sure. So as soon as I finished studying, I um I went into advertising straight away.
1: Um, no, what did you study? What did you study?
2: I studied adver- advertising, marketing, communication with business and economics, and um I left. My mentor at the time was uh, Michael Braveweight, who is um the creative uh, director at the time for Lolintus Advertising Agency in Knightsbridge. And he did, um, uh, I think it was, there's a beer called, begins with C. or I don't drink Collins. Carlsberg. That's it, Carlsberg. And yeah, he, yeah. Uh, he's the one who came up with the slogan, possibly the best beer in the world. And that's where he got all his fame from. So when he was doing um, that, I was kind of like his, one of his favourite students. And so he got me uh, an internship with Lolintus. Unfortunately, the way in which advertising works in a classroom is very different from the way it is in reality. It was not an open forum to share ideas and work as a team. It was a very lonely pursuit. That's not my personality type. So I, I found it really hard um, creatively trying to find the new idea, the, the next best thing when you mm. can't share and you can't you know, vocalise it. Um, because everybody was trying to steal your idea and pitch it before you could, which I, I wasn't aware of that. So I found myself the first like month just having a lot of, a lot of my lunch in the bathroom. I hated it. Um, and there was just a point when I just didn't come back. Um, and so literally it was a case of um, I, I left, I just didn't come back for my lunch. I left and then I went into, went back to what I loved, which was retail. I had always worked in the beauty industry and um and I found myself in I think I, where was I it was there was a company I was walking by and I it was called Essential Mediterraneo which was a Spanish company and um I walked by I could see that someone was doing something wrong because my mum's a plumber I could see that he was about to d- do something very massively wrong I said that's the wrong pipe and, then, <laughs> and um, you can't cut, you have that's a mains you can't cut that and. Um, and then the, the manager came out and he said, what do you know about it? So I kind of got involved and somehow I just ended up staying there for like four hours when I was just supposed to be going to Covent Garden, to get some, get get, get some stuff. I ended up getting drafted in hilarious and I ended up being, um, I was supposed to be just the supervisor by the end of the, the, the 24 hours or so, he made me the store manager. Um, and I was there for just under 10 months because it got to a point where it was a franchise of the first franchise from um, from Spain to the UK. But they didn't have much of a, uh, a structured base for for over here. So there was points where I, I didn't get paid for some months and then I, did got, I got double paid the next month. It was all over the place. Um, but I, I took you know a zero, zero store that was making only like 200 a month, so 200 a day. I, when I left, we was on about 2,000 a day. Um, but the owner just disappeared. We couldn't find him. Bailiffs were coming. So I thought, time to leave. Um, but in that that period, I kind of got a little bit famous in the piazza because every Friday I would take off my shoes and get into the front window and have the audience help me make our, our windows and just have that participation, make it fun. Um, and that's what we got famous for. Um, and uh, one of the... Um, the assistant I think he would be the PA of um Paul Kelly who was at the time the C the chairman of Selfridges he um he saw what I was doing many times and I didn't realize that's who he was I served him a lot he was a customer um he ended up uh headhunting me and told me to come to Selfridges on a specific date to come for an interview so I went there thinking it was an ordinary interview um but I got kind of like fast track to the final stage of the interview and was just told yeah you've got the role we've we've been watching you and you're you're amazing and we want that kind of theatre and that crowd participation that you kind of created just from doing a window with um the with your audience um so I was in Selfridges for just uh, just under three years as the one of the floor managers um loved it it kind of um it was um Selfridges is kind of a a deep end jump in a deep end kind of place it was before the explosion of the internet so it was that's me showing my age um, so it was there wasn't really that like a, a proper platform for online shopping at the time so it being a physical brick and mortar was important back then um, you know we could have taken like good 130 grand a day and so the team would r- range from 150 and at christmas we could have up to 600 people on the floor um, so it was, it was a brilliant. I, swear I learned everything. And what was great about Selfridges is they allowed you and very much encouraged you to look go to different departments. And so even though I was a beauty manager, I was able to go to the buying team. I was able to go to the um, VM team. I was able to go to the finance team and really understand how the whole um, ecosystem pretty much worked. Um, and help you know um, go on decision-making exercises and that's what led me to my other role so I was tasked with the um, the job by the buying team and I was working with them to go and visit OPI Nail Haven and Nails Yard um, I'm sorry Nails Inc so when I was um, I'd have to go and it's such a hard job I had to go get my nails done so I had to go get my nails done at all these (laughs) different places and um, then basically do a report and say which one we, we, I thought would fit in my shop floor the best. So that'd be the girls kind of like general flavor, um, how they sell the products and so forth. And they trusted me with making, you know, being like that was they said that that would probably be like 80 percent of the decision. The rest will be like their profit line. So um, uh, I didn't pick and I gave the worst um, report to uh, Nail Zinc at the time. And um, because when I was there, the girls were lovely. They were so, so nice, loved what they did with my nails. But unfortunately, being the retailer um, and having that mindset, obviously, when I was there, we don't make money from their service. That's all theirs. We make money from their products. So the Mm -hmm. fact that the young lady did not sell me anything, they got zero, pretty much, you know, that was like zero part of that portion was we, we couldn't have them on board. Um, so then we ended up going for OPI. So they came and opened up their their salon in um, Selfridges, and that was that was great. But when they, I didn't know that I would. I, I, they was going to bring up my name. That Sophia said that you know this is the report Sophia made about you. I was like, <gasps> like oh my god, they're going to tell them. I thought it was anonymous. <laughs> so oh, wow. um, so yeah, so the actual founder of Nail Zinc uh, wanted to speak to me personally. Um, and so um, she 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 offered me a role and at the time Selfridges was going for a kind of a, a transition because the Westerns were buying it. Um, so there was a point where we didn't have much structure again um, and things were getting bad. So I thought it's it's best to to you know to leave and actually join and go into what I wanted to, to what I really wanted to do, which was the more problem solving element of retail going in and helping a brand become better. So that's what I did. So I went to Inc under a contract of basically helping them turn them around so that they could have, um, they were trying to get into uh, Harvey Nichols at the time. And uh, at the t- I had worked for Harvey Nichols pre- previously because I worked for agencies. So I've worked in every single department store there is, even the ones that are gone. Um, and I just, I know the culture of all, I've got to know all the people there. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I worked with them six months, left, and then went to um, work for a company called. Neil's Yard Remedies and um stayed with them for yeah they they for a very long time seven years um plus and worked from being a store manager well actually no, I was a store opener so I was just helping them open stores to, to begin with because they just mm-hmm. wanted something I was again supposed to be only on an eight eight month contract or so just opening their stores um but as I was opening their stores I fell in love with the brand fell in love with the their philosophy, their ideology, everything, and um, so when I opened up those eleven stores with them, they said I had my pick. So they assumed I was going to pick Sloan Square, um, or Marble, um, uh, uh, what's it called, Borough Markets store, um, but or Islington. And I said, no, 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 I want the station stores. And the station stores are not um, not glamorous at all. There's no bathroom. There's no uh, you know office. And all the other ones were like two-storey offices and all that kind of stuff and just really great with therapy rooms. And they just assumed that I'd want all of that. I said, no, I want the second busiest store. I need to be busy or I'm going to leave. <laughs> you're know, I need. <laughs> I, I, you going to have to distract me with just busyness. So um, I chose the smallest store in the sense of actual square footage, um, but it ended up being the second busiest store, like I predicted, which they didn't believe it would be. Um, but I kind of see patterns when it comes to... Uh, I think I've been in retail so long, I kind of understand what customers need and a location, what that location will bring. Um, And I can pretty much kind of work out what I tend to see as the DNA of a shop. And I can figure out what it will need um, and what it it could live without. So with St Pancras, especially that store, there was probably only 40% of the company's offerings were in that store. So Again, we didn't need all the categories that we had in order to be the second busiest store. It was mm. we were just we just had the right <coughs> formula of what we needed. So I was given quite a lot of freedom over that store, so much so that they allowed me to be a multi manager and look after um, canary Wharf and Victoria. um And I just I loved it. It was great I had a team. Uh, I had pretty much the same team from when I opened the doors. Until the doors closed, when I left, the store closed six months after me, um, and that was just after my I won an award for them. So I thought, how is it closing after I've left? And it just was never the same when I when I when I departed because my team couldn't didn't want to stay if I wasn't there. So um, yeah, loved loved it there. Then, whilst I was there, I got headhunted again. I don't really get a chance that's why I'm really bad at doing CVs. I haven't had one in like twenty years. But um, <laughs> but I was uh, headhunted. You don't um, really
1: have to look for jobs. Like you haven't been
2: going to like no. search for jobs. they have just been coming to you. They come to me. So um, Maltin Brown um uh, contacted me and wanted me to be uh the multi-site manager for um travel retail. So I ended up looking after Heathrow, Gatwick, Stansted, Luton, City. Is that it? Yeah. Airports. Yeah, that's all they. <clears throat> <laughs> what we'd c- classify as um the south so mm. yeah so looked after all of um malton brown's uh, uh travel retail business that was also selling into ba um british airways selling into alia which is um uh basically the world duty free equivalent for the europe for europe's and malta so that was one of my locations as well looked after pino ships um, so it was going across the country doing training. I only had 11 members of staff across all those locations because it pretty much ran on its own as long as I had the right products in the right place um, with the right uh, um, information that was fed to me by the various um, airports and stations mm. and so forth. And that was a lot of fun. That was one of my favorite it was one of my favorite brands anyway, but it was um one of my favorite roles because it was just a lot of autonomy. And I think. That's where the entrepreneur, entrepreneur, yeah, mm. sparked when I realized that I could make a decision, and that decision could cost us. You know, I could easily just put you know four hundred k onto our bottom line by just a decision I make. And sometimes my decisions was going against the 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 general um, uh, rhythm of the rest of the company because the company was very um, high street orientated. So they always thought that the high street high street way and rules would translate to travel retail and that's just not the case because we're talking about different cultures um a whole different mindset of when you're leaving a country that you're not thinking of the same thing so mm-hmm. um, so it was I kind of you know I wanted to test my kind of like retail um brain and kind of like the fact that I'm really good at reading the pulse of the trends and um yeah I was I won awards there too which was great so um yeah I, I really enjoyed it but after you know deciding to have a second little one I just knew that that lifestyle I wouldn't be able to keep up the the, the overnight stays the week away stays um with oh. a second little one because my husband um became a stay-at-home dad for two years whilst I was doing that um with our first little guy so um I couldn't do that again to I had too much mum guilt way too much mum guilt to yeah, do that's the thing <laughs> yeah it was a lot so then I thought let me do what everything you know do what actually comes supernatural to me as a business so I started a travel agency so I actually bought a franchise and um so when the,
1: when did you just so I, just so we can get a bit of context when did you actually start the travel, travel business? 2016
2: so okay. yeah 2016 and, and what's that called um your not, travel business? yeah not just travel Sophia Leach so yeah okay. so, um the franchise company is actually called not just travel and um I just Ooh. I just love that name anyway because I usually just say something like I'm not just I so, usually say I'm not just a mum or I'm not just a sister I'm not just I that's kind of my phrase anyway so yeah. I use it as um I'll keep it that way and just add my name to the to the end because it's more about people just knowing me um in the in my social circle my family circle I'm kind of you know if you was to to equate me to a, a friend's character I'm Monica um everyone's at my house I'm the one that will cook I'm the one that organizes the <laughs> And um, I love doing group family holidays so the most that's flown we've all flown out together is like 41 and I'll just go and we'll go and terrorize some poor part of the world um but we get shout outs on the on the, on the flights and have fun and oh uh, yeah I coordinate everything that's just my that's just my job in my job and role in my in my social circle and my family circle so it was like very easy for me to translate those skills um and also the fact that I can retain um trends and and uh and features and stuff like that which you do in in cosmetic Mm. very easy to equate that to the world especially if you're as well traveled Mm -hmm. as i am already so um that's what i did started that and just kind of specialized in um group and corporate um travel so i would find um i'd find those that just need again a solution um, or I find a problem find a solution to a problem and the problem that I you know I saw from just my friends that I'd you know go out with my girlfriend is that there'd be executive um, assistants you know to the directors or the CEO of the company and they're usually um, bi-coastal so they're usually New Yorkers that and all going to Lagos and but you know are also based in the UK so they're going back and forth like every fortnight and so they would spend most of their time you know having to be on the phone or be on online getting these these quotes and you know doing all this the travel stuff I said well I could do that for you and, and pay you a commission for doing it so I'm um, there like what And I said, yeah you'll just be able to spend your day doing whatever else you need to do and just give me that responsibility so I just basically linked up with a lot of um yeah of um PA That's brilliant yeah and just did that and just made That's that much- whilst also doing my favorite thing weddings oh my god I love doing I weddings think you're a genius
1: actually just from listening to you,
2: <laughs> I think you're a genius. Yeah, well, yeah, that's just
1: so, so that's such a smart way of doing something. It's like, uh, I would say that's a really, really clever business model because I know people that have worked in travel, like doing the same kind of thing that you did, like buying mm-hmm. a franchise, and they were literally, you know, really stressed out mostly because they didn't really know how to gain the clients and stuff to it, be able to, you know, to get their commission and everything.
2: Yeah, it's hard to do. The thing is, for me, I was I was lucky that I had a very active, you know, and and it was funny because it's when I had a decline, it's when all of us were going through, my friends and family were going through the same thing, like we're all having our second kid, we're all now, you know, okay I've just got on the property ladder, I personally, Selfridges um, is when I was able to accumulate my deposits, I've been on the property ladder since 20, but it was the, um, it was the case of for me, um, there was a point where oh my gosh this is harder selling a holiday to like people that don't know me as well and that meant I had to go instead of me enjoying my little baba I'm now out having to network and do all of this stuff yeah, like, which I can't do it's too <laughs> you know so then it was a case of I thought if I'm going to network I need to know I need to pinpoint precisely who I'm looking for um mm. the- going to somebody and saying oh you plan on going on holiday soon I just I'm not really a, a salesperson like that I want to be able to solve a problem so and take stress from somebody that's kind of what I've always done is you know brilliant problem. so that's why I thought there has to be a travel problem out there for somebody and I just had to think about it long and hard and it wasn't until I went to a um, a networking event and I saw um, I saw a PA I know I saw the one of the CEOs talking to his PA saying oh, I need you to do this I need you to do that and get the you know, trained and I thought bless that poor woman she's got to do that and she's still also got to do the minutes for your meeting she's got to do that she got, but now I can take that from her <laughs> so, I'll take one stress from her and give her a commission for it so you know I should I just gave her 10% of everything I made um that was from her you've
1: literally you've given someone a business model right now you've just given someone a business idea <laughs> <laughs> like how they can actually run their travel business you need to take a, you need, you need to be actually creating a some kind of course the easy way of running a travel business from home yeah you you, you make millions I'm telling you okay to... <laughs> 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 a little course that you just put on Clickbank you see that that platform Clickbank where affiliates they go on there and they take offers and they go and promote it to different people on the internet and then when they promote it, they get, they get a bit of commission from it as well. So you create a little course and you can just put it on Clickbank and just sit back and just receive all the passive income. Anyway, yeah. anyway um, <laughs> so the, the travel business, 2016, yeah. um, are you still running that? Or did obviously COVID kind of like... Yeah, COVID
2: completely made me put that in hibernation. So I protected that the best I could so um, it was literally just making sure I was still paying APTA and Atoll and all that kind of stuff and, but it completely changed everything on when the news came so we got the news slightly earlier than what was um, the, than the press um, so we kind of knew that things was, was a bit iffy because we're pretty much in contact with a lot of um, countries embassies and then when parts of when what we call products which is just like your hotels and flights and stuff we still call them products when your products start to be removed from very poignant places, you think, oh, that's a bit weird um, mm. happening. So for, you know, so for, for me, I I kind of made sure that, because it happened in our peak. So for in travel, your peak is between um, the bu- the busiest and absolute busiest time is November through to January. That's your peak. You'll take probably 45 to fifty percent of your full months full years takings in that time, um, it's really important that you 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 you're ready for that that time that time span. Um, if you miss the opportunity, then you won't really survive the rest of the year. And um, it's about trying to manage, you know, um, all the offers that come from all of the different um, suppliers. So in that time, when we saw that a lot of the there wasn't the usual offers, I knew something was wrong. Um, so, I didn't push that hard. I, I just thought, you know what? I think I'll probably have more refunds than, than commission come in because something's definitely mm-hmm. gone out there. And then when it actually hit and we found out what was going on, I had to do roughly around 24,000 in refunds. And again, that was me really not, that was just for three weeks, three weeks worth. So, if I had pushed for that whole duration from November through To January when we definitely knew it was informed because we were informed in the travel industry properly January the rest of the world found out in March no February end of February going into March Um, that's when I kind of I I, you know I was like yeah I'm not going to push because what people don't realize is if you're spending 10 grand with me for a holiday I'm still having to do the, i I will never dictate to you do it on your debit card for me please or whatever it's whatever you choose to to pay it with i'll deal with the 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 tra- um, transactions cost myself so a lot of my customers would you you know just just my luck would be um american express holders so you're, you're talking about i'm um, having to look for you know one point you know depending on what it was it was 1.6 percent mm-hmm was the cost of me even taking that transaction but then when it came to me having to do refunds for everybody um my insurance does not cover the actual cost of the transaction process that's just a loss for me so I was able to get everybody else everybody their 100 money back but i was still taking i probably took about 900 pound hit just in just in um transaction tra- transaction costs alone so, oh, wow so i wasn't really prepared to so when things was opening up now and everyone's like, no, let's go to Portugal, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I won't, I'm not doing anything for another year and a half. And that was the decision I made that I'm I won't I won't do that. So I've put the business on um on hiatus. It's on, it's like I said, it's in hibernation. Um still keeping still educating myself with everything that's happening and knowing because I still have friends and I still have old customers that will call me and just ask me questions as they would. Mm-hmm um mm-hmm. i'll keep them informed of what to do where to go where not to go i know what hotels have closed down which ones haven't um obviously during that time the big powerhouse which was um thomas cook when they shut down um i, I was i didn't i didn't miss them because i never used them anyway because i didn't like what they did to their staff i'm a i'm a very fear and earnest person so if you don't treat your team well i will never ever shop with you um so I, I I didn't like the fact that they cannibalize their own sales. So if somebody went into their freestanding store um, and got a full quote from them there, if that person then went away and wanted to just call the hotline just to get more information, the person on the phone would make sure that they get that sale, and then the person who's in the store doesn't get any commission. Get anything. anything. Or they <laughs> sometimes even um, and people got 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 um smart to it they would actually be in the store and then their their friend would be outside on the phone with them and they'd play them off against each other. So they'd bring down the price. Um, and then, yeah. So I, I I didn't like what they did to to their own mm. people. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. when, when big companies like that was falling at the wayside, I thought, yeah, I'm going to protect myself <laughs> and, and, and just, you know, you know, stay, stay, hum- stay humble and just know that I, I can't push that right now. The travel side has to kind of, you know, say
1: So then, what? What did you? Did you? So okay. So right. So you've got to the you've got to this point now. Mm. Um, and with the black card lottery, yeah. when did that come into play?
2: So I actually had. A, I well, the the black card lottery was quite. It was something I've been talking about, with just a lottery in general, for quite some time. When there was other things happening in my community, so. There's a community centre called Bridge Park in Brent near Wembley Stadium, and mm. I grew up. I pretty much grew up there. It kind of was the place that uh, educated me on my culture, so to speak, because they'd have like um, summer classes there, and they'd have um, kids clubs, and that's where I did steel pan. That's where I did, you know, sewing for my carnival outfit. Um, you know, we did African dance there. And we did, we you know, my uncles used to go there and play squash because it had a gym element to it as well. Mm-hmm. My mum used to go there before COVID. My mum used to go there every single Sunday for revival night. <laughs> and, you know, and um it's always been a part of the community, you know, and um for it to be under threat because the council built it as a thank you to the Caribbean community that came during Windrush so when 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 the last ship um docked in 1977 this building was then given to the black community um as a, a um a charitable business so it was actually a cic which looks after it a body looks, looks after it and um it that opened i think in yeah 19 1990 no 1980 sorry 1980 and so it was a thank you for that so it was it was um, constructed 3 years after so they was always under the impression and there was a covenant in the law that said it could never be sold. So it was crazy to me that like, I think it was 2018, December, we was in a meeting and, um, they were saying that the, you know, the the council have sold it to um, Barnet council so they could sell it. So they could break the covenant and, and sell it when we have, you know, the paperwork is there that they could never sell it when the Brent, Brent owns it, but they found a loophole. So, they had sold the premises to um, a, a foreign company. And so, when that happened and took place, I couldn't believe that this, this could happen. So, I and mean, we had no money, nothing in any kitty anywhere to fight it legally, fight it. you know. Mm. So, or just it was constant <clears throat> where we're, we're putting whatever money we, we could, whenever we could remember, to, um, into it. Um, all of the cost for the people that was in the local community, the cost like was doubled, you know. Um, so there was less and less events happening there now, and it was just little things. W- was it? It was just devastating. But again, we were in this hall. There must have been like three to four hundred of us streaming into the streets, and we all had mm-hmm. the common pain of they can't do this, but we were powerless because we didn't have capital. We had the capital. We didn't, yeah, we didn't have capital. We didn't have. infrastructure <laughs> um it was it was it was bad and so I sat there that night and I thought things have got to be So what what year was this? This is 2018. Okay. So 2018 December um and I just thought now this is this this cannot happen. This is we need to find a way to because the way I look at it, ownership is everything. I'm mm-hmm. f- I'm from a family where my you know my granddad has a um has a butcher shop in, in Wilson where um you know and he's always had it, you know. There's been so many people that have tried to purchase it from him, um, and uh, you know, to get him off the high road, as we always call it, because like high road is forever changing. But my granddad and um the the bakery that's been there since like 18 something has never they're the two staples of the of the road. And so I know that if we owned that building, this wouldn't be up for discussion. Like this it, it wouldn't even be an issue, you know. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was. We need to find a singular system that culturally anybody who who is an ally of the culture, who is part of the culture, whatever the case may be, can in a monthly um, instalment of ten pounds a month, could pay into a system that we can then create trust to buy places like that that will always be ours, um, and to start having some level of ownership. I don't think the windrush um, kind of scandal would have happened if we had more capital as a as a culture anyway. Mm-hmm you know um it's because it could be done that's that we have <clears throat> no structure in place but there are great organizations out there like adpack that is starting to formulate these these amazing systems that we can be a part of um that so, with so you
1: mention adpack sorry just so the readers so, so the listeners can um be, get a bit of an, an understanding of what is adpack
2: so adpack is a um i would say the best way to describe them uh, they are a committee that is based and an organization that is nonprofit again um, and their sole purpose is to create a inboarding of collective anybody from the African Dysora, um that diaspora right, ac- yes yeah. yeah, to actually um be under one roof so that we can start to create actual infrastructure so that's politics economics education agriculture everything under one place and it's then insourcing within those those different departments and so it's almost it's yeah so it's basically a committee but um it's it's huge it's great it's, it's gaining really big traction recently the founder dino kai um is ahead head of it and again these things need funding so as much as he's now put mm-hmm. out there the ideology and the the idea and the mission that he has needs funding yeah it, can't, it still needs funding so <clears throat> you know but the the if it wasn't for ad we wouldn't have had you know the the case with wind and rush go to the high court and there'd be some small wins where they have admitted fault mm-hmm. and so and that's just that first conversation to then get justice for what has happened and find a way mm-hmm. to and that wouldn't have exist- that would not have happened if we didn't have Adpack that just had curated the right people from the right departments, the right education, the right experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're they they they're truly amazing. They kind of understand um, the they understand the culture because they, they are a part of it, um, but they also understand the the, the culture we live within um, and the the battles back and forth. So, yeah. That's
1: so it. that was 2018 that you had that thought. So, when did you actually take real affirmative action with the Black Card Lottery?
2: So, um, from the new year, so January 2019, is when um, I started to pull together all of the requirements needed and necessary to get the license so uh, that was going through writing out the legal paperwork for the terms and conditions that was going through getting the right jurisdiction of where we will um, be operating the license that was mm-hmm. finding the software that i needed to, to have as a crm the um the actual ram- randomizer everything the what kind of website i'm going to have it was literally starting the business from absolute scratch but the, the biggest part or the legal um requirements to get the license. So I had to go through a full vigorous background check. They went through my bank statements, my husband's statements, every single thing, the the, the deed to the home, everything. So um, that process, I submitted the actual license application, which has kind of got probably about 109 points that you got to 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 do (laughs) um i handed that in on the 10th of november 2019 so again all this was done prior to the even knowledge of a um of covid didn't know anything about it (laughs) to the point that at that point i was thinking that the lot the lottery and the travel will sit beside each other because i want to be able to um uh circulate the pound within our homelands as well that was also the plan mm-hmm. that's still part of the plan but that was um part of the plan that if we are going to have pr- um, bigger prizes it's for them to go back to um back to black cultures a- abroad so um so again nothing covid george floyd Birana taylor none of those things was was even ha- hadn't happened yet so come november 19 um, 2019 when i submitted it there's a there's a lot of back and forth account manager my Mm -hmm. back-forths were were um hard to describe to somebody who doesn't understand what cultural bias is um and and you know and um uh, you know and and people that are unaware that they are being they're saying the wrong thing you know so I, I couldn't you know it was hard to describe it in 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 writing so there was a point when I started to record my conversations so that I could explain to somebody and um, that do you hear the undertone of the things that she's saying to me? Um so unfortunately the first application, um I was so when you actually put through an application, the money that you pay to do it is non-refundable and you're aware of that. If you fail that that first one, um, you just had to apply again fresh and you got to pay that money again fresh. So I was fully aware of that. So I wanted everything to be perfect. And again, you get an account manager. I was refunded the money. The reason why I was refunded the money is because the account manager that I had was actually working against me um, to make sure that I failed. So she wasn't submitting things that she was supposed to. So there was a lot of things going on. Um, And so the actual, her manager stated that, could I give you a free free, um, uh, refund? We're going to um, give you a new account manager. I'm going to oversee what's happening and so forth. And thank goodness that happened. I then resubmitted again in June um, and then got my license um, the 1st of December, 2020. Wow. Again, what was supposed to be 16 16 weeks was a lot longer than that. And and it was little things like, you know, um, the bank would say we can't give you a bank account until you have the license. But the, the Gambling Commission said we can't give you a license until you have the bank account. So there was a lot of um the red tape to keep me out um was ridiculous. And it was one of those things where I was disappointed that the and and it was but I needed it to happen as well. There was um the word black felt like a dirty word every time I said it to any financial institution that, that I had to be in contact with to get this up uh, off the ground mm-hmm. and so that that to me was it was um it was upsetting but also empowering because it, it proved the reason why we need it um because there was n- th- you know they kept saying oh we've never heard of this we've never heard of this before and I said well I know it's the first so I get it and they said oh you don't have an external management company and you're not working for one of them, so no. I have my own license. I don't need an external management company. I want to do it myself. I want it to be fully owned by a black person. <laughs> That's the point of this. Um, mm-hmm. So it was. It was very hard, really, really hard. And um, each stage there was a block. There was, and it was never a point where I thought I was. Again, I'm persistent. I never thought I would quit, but there was points where I thought there is actually no way to move forward. They've blocked every, mm-hmm. all the sidesteps I could get around things were, were blocked. So there was a point where I thought, it's not that I'm quitting. I felt like I didn't have anywhere to go. So, everywhere I, so unfortunately, I had to do a lot of complaints, formal complaints for things that somebody else wouldn't have to complain about.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, so it was, it was hard. It was the, 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 the two, two years has been difficult. I wouldn't wish it on anybody because it, it, it <coughs> it was a lot of biting your tongue because when some when you when there's only one authority for something and you can't go to a competitor you have to just suck it up buttercup so that's what i had to do um yeah yeah entrepreneurship is hard
1: as it is so i'm just wondering you know how you managed to maintain your composure one how over that time how you managed to actually look after your mental health number two in that time as well because obviously 2 years of battling against you know generally entrepreneurship is difficult if you want to, if you if you think about sales trying to trying to find your target audience all of that that's difficult but if you're actually battling against institutions you know how did you maintain your composure how did you actually like what did did you have some kind of routines that you did that actually helped you to get through this um, mentally emotionally
2: um No no none no healthy ones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh,
1: okay. Uh,
2: (laughs) So meant so much chocolate that (laughs) I would I would just be like every single time it was on my, my shopping list was milk and cookies to the point that I like I put on probably a stove stress eating it was so. just it was it, like I said there was no it was not helpfully done at
1: least you're it, honest because yeah at least you're honest I'm quite happy about that honesty because I think t- transparency authenticity is important because I, f- I find sometimes like when you scroll through Instagram sometimes um, and even look at watch these YouTube videos, like Girl Boss, this kind of thing. Yeah. You know, they're talking about meditation and all these different things and all these healthy habits. I'll just drink green juice. It helps me to calm down. And so, you know, when I'm feeling anxious, I just drink spirulina juice, which is yeah. fine. You know, I, I drink that stuff. Sometimes I'm vegan, but um, yeah. it's sometimes not realistic. Sometimes you just want to eat a pizza. Yeah. Do you know
2: what I mean? I, just, I literally... <laughs> Just craved, like it was every time something bad was happening. I was like, I need a galaxy, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm talking of
1: galaxies, man. I, I I could do one of those, they don't, they don't, sell, they don't sell that in Ghana. Galaxy,
2: oh no, I'll ship you one over. Ship you <laughs> <some> <laughs> galaxy man. But it was, but that was for me, it was a case of I think the dis- and most of this then started to happen within lockdown. So I didn't have a way to even leave the building to just get away from stuff sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. because parts of my family were shielding and things like that it was something we had to take we had to make sure we was very strict on so there would be just times where just being in the car and listening to some music and just getting it out um would just and just singing along to it and just doing my own thing to just get out of my own head would work for me um Mm -hmm. Uh, with that chocolate but other things would yeah it would work for me and that's that's what I that's what I've done so um again it's it's the case of I would I would definitely say that find whatever makes you happy and go to your happy place as quickly as possible um
1: as well, it's not illegal <laughs>
2: yeah that's not illegal. yeah that's not illegal you know um, yeah, you know, yeah. My, and yeah, tr- try and make it as healthy as possible. The chocolate's chocolate, I guess. I can't, couldn't help. I couldn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for me, I just... I, meditation works for me when I'm in a good place. That sounds about everything. But mm-hmm. I've, never, I've not been able to master that as yet. But I'm very good at finding my happy happiness when I need to. So I would just go straight to find my kids. I would go straight to... Um, you know going to you know cooking my favorite meal cooking relaxes me in general um, and then watching people enjoy my food helps me in, as well so it was you know my husband blessed him he was getting the best meals of his life then because I, I <laughs> to get you know to, to, to just keep my mind off things but then I also just made sure I just had my pen and paper that when I was watching something if I heard something that was like oh that's a good idea or remember to do that my to-do list was there I made myself tiny little um milestones okay and, yeah and I promised myself if I hit any of those milestones I got bigger chocolate <laughs> 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 the I thought you were gonna say something else <laughs> I'll get, get like there's a there's my one of my favorite vegan chocolates that has babab um Ba-Bab oil in it um and uh, it's expensive. I thought, you know what? When oh, I hit, what, what's that. that? What's that called? It's, I'm quite interested. Yeah, it's called Maya, and it's um salt salted caramel is one of them, and Whoa. other Yeah. Um, but because it's made of baobab, well, the texture of this chocolate, hot <gasps> chocolate as well, it's um seventy percent. It doesn't even. It is. It's so smooth and beautiful. So, because you know, normally a darker chocolate is harder. It doesn't have a high melting point. Yeah, high- yeah. 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 Um, This one, because of the the baobab oil, it's just, oh, it's so good. But it's like 25 pounds for like three bars. So, (laughs) like I said. Well, I mean, luxury, isn't it? Yeah, when I hit my milestones, I thought, okay, I'm going to get that. Because every time I think about 25 pounds, I think about what I could get for my boys instead. (laughs) That's a mum's thing. (laughs) That's
1: important, isn't it? What you just mentioned about the little milestones, that's actually really important, I think, because right now if you've noticed there's this hustle culture yeah. and it's, 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 it's quite unhealthy actually this hustle culture and you know instead of this instead of sort of advocating this idea of taking um small steps um and celebrating small wins mm-hmm. people just beat themselves up because they're not especially women anyway so I find, mm-hmm. find it's, it's worse for, for, for women um especially mums um yeah. we just have this it's kind of inherent guilt that we do we 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 constantly beating ourselves up about whether you know we're spending enough time with our kids. Have we made enough money? Have we have we hit this milestone? Do we look good? Just just, just too many things.
0: Mm-hmm. Too many things to think about.
1: So yeah. I think that's really important what you mentioned about the little milestones. That's yeah. a good piece of advice for someone who is interested in sort of going in down the entrepreneurial path.
2: Uh-huh. It's not
1: easy by the way. Listen, it's huh. not easy
2: whoever's listening. And uh, you know, what- <laughs> What, is it? what I find interesting is people that are very successful never talk about their failures. Another person I admire is Gordon Ramsay because he goes in when he does like... A, he's been through a lot that guy
1: has. He's yeah. been through a heck of a lot. People don't realise what he's been through. The abuse.
2: And what's really amazing is he talks about it. Even when he's doing his like my son's favourite show and it's really bad that I have an 11 year old listening to it, like you a know, swearing sailor. But he my son wants to be a chef but he admires gordon because when he does go into places and does that i think it's hell kitchen he he goes people are in a state where they're entrepreneurs but they're failing they're at their most vulnerable they're thinking i can't put food on my table even though i own a restaurant um you know i i can't you know look after my family but he goes in with you know a bit of bit you know a bit of you know, spunky about him but he goes in and then he is very vulnerable and he opens up and he tells them mm. I have had failures my restaurants have closed I need you to understand that you don't always I have a but it's mm. a, he's still where he is he, he didn't give up and I think sometimes it's the case of you realize because if even within my travel business there was a point where I completely when before I found the 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 problem I wanted to solve because again i found it too hard and too difficult to keep on going out there and finding just a new person who just wants to you know go to go on mm-hmm. i needed i needed people that was that needed to go away constantly all the time so i was trying to find rep- repetitive customers and so um there was a point where i wasn't earning what i was used to earning like i walked away from you know a, a big salary that looked after to, you know both of us you know um and then when my husband went back to work I was um and he went back into straight into what he wanted to do and that's what was good he was able to retrain and do exactly what he wanted when I went back now and I was you know into travel you kind of just assume that you're going to be at the same level you were the salary that you were you know you got to build back up to that and I think because I started off with such a bang I had like a, a launch party and I just made it just fun and you know carnival based and all that kind of stuff linked it with my birthday and it was a, a lot of fun and I made a lot of sales that was you know that <sighs> sprung me up to be the person to watch in the franchise um and then when it was it died down I was like oh my god what am I doing wrong and you, you start to freak out but then I had panic have to, yeah yeah you can't you panic but it's the same thing I've done with the with the lottery I kind of was sitting around not talking to anybody that much because I was in during lockdown. So I didn't have focus groups like I normally would do. And so I was quite lonely when I made the, the original model. But then the world, you know, had a huge impact on that because of what happened during Black Lives Matter with you know the 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 um the murder of Brianne Taylor and obviously George. Floyd. A lot of things changed. Riots were happening and protests mm-hmm. were happening, all these different things across the world that it then took on a whole different uh, sense of meaning. I always wanted ownership to be... The ownership was a big key, but then it turned into something completely different because then Mm -hmm. I was by the Black Pound Day. Because, again, I had the idea before that came out. So when I saw that people were, yes, buying back into their own culture, um, again, because of my background, I've never really understood why people didn't buy black because i have always had but then i i was fortunate to have you know a black grocery store to go to my granddad's and go get my everything i need there and i was fortunate to, you know enough to that when i needed any building work it's always my uncle's my auntie my mum is a plumber i i just never i took all those things for granted so my mindset has always been even my driving school is my uncle's he's always had that drive school before i could remember so i've i've never not known uh black owned yeah um, so, yeah so for me i thought this is a no-brainer but then when i was talking to friends i thought really? you don't okay right that's interesting <laughs> you know like i don't know that was a thing and so um i was inspired by that so it has changed and it has pivoted um in its direction and you've got to be able to keep your ears to the ground and not be afraid to change it one of my closest mm-hmm. my closest friends who was a business partner of mine at one point as well, whilst I was still doing the travel, I ended up... When I was doing travel, people then wanted me to do, like, business exposés for them and different things because of how when I take on the task of um, creating a, a a holiday for you or something, it would be the case of you could tell me that, oh, it's a family reunion. So I said, oh, well, let me see if I can get you a haul. And so it just I ended up accidentally being an event planner as well with it. But I couldn't do it all alone, so I I brought somebody on with me who was a at the time a business concierge, um, and so it was just a great researcher like myself, and just could get things done. So when with that in mind, um, we had a company called Events Inspired by. So we did um, a uh, a few um, events during that year, but both of our businesses and again my heart changed with um with things that was happening around in 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 just general community. And um, we're still really super close friends. She still helps me out with different things. She's gonna help out with the, the Lottery's admin, administrative side of things as well. But she started off, and this is what's really bizarre. She started off as a kind of like a, a declutterer organizer. And now she's got the one of the most successful black owned um, business concierge services out there where she does what she calls Savvy, um, uh, savvy Systems. So she works with um, black entrepreneurs who need to find a way of um, creating, yeah, t- courses, creating um, uh, systematic processes and automations and things like that. So look at that. And that was just in a sp- in the span of 18 months. She realized what she originally wanted to start doing. Um, she then changed it to being something completely different. So sometimes you've got to be, you can't be afraid of just change. Yeah, of change like that. you've you've evolved we all evolve and you realize when you get past that imposter syndrome because sometimes we all suffer from that she didn't think she could do all those things but when we got into the event side of things and she just would find the perfect system okay oh yeah if we're doing the wedding fair let's do this system instead it helps them get this done and oh we're doing this um music event let's do that and i just thought wow she just she's that savvy system i just had the ideas i felt like i was just the ideas girl and she was just like the the, the crazy scientist in it all together so you know your business will change you just got to allow that to happen see it first identify it and move with it mm-hmm.
1: yeah. okay so now so where are we with the black card lottery Black card.
2: <laughs> and again this is one of those those situations where um so I have the license and that's that's amazing I've got the license they can't take the license away from me unless I um, obviously infringe on a compliancy um, or law um, it's something that I need to take as seriously as as anything because it's also my freedom that's at stake a lot of people don't realize that being regulated by the gambling commission you can be prosecuted for any wrongdoings. Um, obviously infractions of just like oh you know given the you know two pounds more to to a charity and you didn't know and all different things where where you've told told them that the money will be allocated is just a small, you know, infringement. But anything Mm. like trying to take funds from it or embezzle all that kind of silly stuff, that is not on and that would never happen in, well, one, because it's me, but two, because there is a a body monitoring everything you do every single month. You've got to put in your um, reports. Um, So I have my license and that's great. But now I'm at the stage where, The my challenge is actually getting people to to trust in what I've done. When you're the first, it's never easy. I I completely understand that, but the there are blockades at the moment of hit the target that I want. Right, um, you know I can see the bigger picture. I've just now got to find a way to relay that information. Um, you know what's interesting is even doing this podcast. I didn't even want to be the the face let alone the voice I didn't I didn't I wanted to just be in the background and helping people in the back I am not a in I'm not in front of a in front of camera kind of person Um, so I realized that had to change with the the questions that people had like who's doing this who are they you know what's their intent Mm, and Mm -hmm. coming to ask what my motive or my intentions are was new to me so i'm having to pivot and change my mindset i thought oh if i have a celebrity endorser that is got the same ideology as me this will be great but again it's it's that's not what the people want i have to give them what they want and what they want to know is who i am who the founder is why why and so that means
1: and also i think it's because people people are quite um skeptical about um, this whole thing of um, you know when people say say this is black owned, especially when it's something that's <laughs> going to be as big as this, mm-hmm. when you say it's black owned, and you know they want to see who is the person who is actually behind it to see if it actually is black owned.
2: That's true. That's very true. <laughs> that's very true. I've, you i see? Yeah, because people can
1: use the black owned, you know, to, to capitalize on the black owned thing. Yeah,
2: uh, it's true. I completely understand that because even when you think about you know very well known products when they've turned into let's even think about something like BET Television channel
0: mm-hmm.
2: when it turned when it um with that fact it's owned by Viacon I was like what <laughs> like you know so, yeah that's the know, thing I get it I completely get it so and that's the thing I've learned from it I'm I'm out way out of my comfort zone comfort zone is in my rear mirror I don't think I'll ever see it um so I'm trying to be what is necessary for this for, for this to happen and this is a passion project You know, I can always um, go back to travel and earn things that way. But for me, I feel like this is an absolute need for the community, need for my kids. Um, So it's about just yeah, it's about going out there, putting myself out there, recruiting people onto um, as members as part of the part of it. But I have made this one thing I did do recently, and I'm literally recently recently like a couple you know past um 24 hours is I've decided. have so the celebrity, and this is where the learning curve happens. Obviously, the celebrity endorse- endorsement isn't doing what I thought it would do. Most of the people that have signed up is because they have spoken to me directly. You, yeah, and, like Sophia, believe in what you're doing, love what you're doing, and they join. Um, or they have seen things on Instagram where it's me, you know, that can you done? Um, our live we done that's that got such tra- good traction and got a lot of conversations happening, but I. Mm-hmm it turned into a bit of a focus group for me when I watched it back cringely watched it back because again first time I've done an interview but <laughs> but um I realize now that I'm definitely going to have what I call community ambassadors so a celebrity ambassador is not enough I think our people want to see the people on the ground doing the work that we want to pay into so I'm going to be having community amb- ambassadors and um and that is brilliant and those will be the people that have the same... It's going to be almost like talking to me. That person mm-hmm. will be passionate about their project that they're working on, um, as I am. They're going to be the one that will be have the, the knowledge on their sector. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. ag- in the agriculture business. I'm not in the health business anymore. Um, and so those will be the people that I'll be looking towards. I'm looking for There's a company called Noir Wellness, the founder I I, I know her really, really well. And she is one of the most poignant voices in, in, in health, well-being, mental health, especially for the black community. She will definitely be one of the, the community leaders. So I asked her and she's already said yes. So I'm now just looking for those key people. And again, she can be talking about to her own kind of um, constituents, almost, you could say, so to say, and um, circle that. This is what health in in the Black community looks like and needs and funds that we need. But this is this this is one of the solutions. And and again, it's one of the solutions. It's not the. It's
1: one.
2: Mm. Um, so uh, and and that's and that's what uh, that's kind of like what I decided just literally twenty four hours ago. So um again having to readjust how your message is coming across and knowing what is the right vehicle. Um, and I now know the right vehicle is what I call kitchen table talk it's about speaking to people conversation I'm speaking to you inside my kitchen in my sister's kitchen now so it's just a comfortable place to have these conversations so um, I I think you need to
1: do like what we were talking about um, before um, about like just having more and doing more and more um, like features interviews um, whether it be face to face or radio, radio is a really good place because a lot of a lot of passionate people listen to radio. A lot of passionate older people listen listen to radio. Yeah, in that community, um, they listen to radio over watching something or even over reading something. They will sit with their radios, like the, the kind of older people, maybe ones that are kind of like in their sixties. Like they like to listen to radio a lot. Definitely. And the, passion, the, the the ones that, we, you know, the black people within the community that are actually really passionate about the community, they listen to radio. So I think radio shows will be good for you as well. But anyway, I think what we need to talk about is how this works. I think that's the, that is what oh. people are going to want to know, exactly how it works. Like a really clear cut uh, outline of how it works and how it's going to benefit the black community. Yeah. So
2: basically... It's um, everything is, so the, the license I have with the gambling commission is a remote license so the way in which it works is you go onto my website, you go through um, sign up and play click sign up, sign up and play on our website which is www.blackcardlottery.com um, click sign up and play, press play now and basically fill out a form the form that you're filling out will be for direct debit the payment, um, £10 monthly payment will come out every single month. And it's whenever you want to, because there's no contract, you can cancel it whenever you like. You just give us a call and we'll take you off the system. Very simple, very easy. The reason why we had to use direct debit, and again, that's one of those situations where that was one of the challenges that we found. Not every single payment um, platform wanted to work with us. Because again, it, it was the case of we, we you know, it was just very difficult. Mm -hmm. We were just blocked everywhere you can, you know, and we were just, you know, the amount of complaints I had to to do, but when a company says that, you know, we can choose who and what we work with, that's all you can go by. So I had to make sure um, that I was always thinking of the security aspect as well of my um, customers that would play it. And so the the safest way to actually to do anything and also to be compliant with what the gambler, gambling commission needs and wants was to have direct debit and it's just that simple so the 10 pounds that you actually play with five pounds goes towards the prize fund three pound 50 goes towards um the charity and good causes and one pound goes towards running with that five pounds that is the prize fund we actually split that that five pounds into um an 80%, 80 80 20 um split so the 20% will then be going back to black owned businesses. So we actually buy products from black owned um, companies, um, and also services, depending on what it is. Um, and we actually put that into our price um, offerings. So for the first month, when we um, we have extended our, our signing up period so that we can hit our target, the, the first um, prizes will be from sheer love London, um, a lovely body product. Um, a body butter with um, sheer butter and essential oils. Absolutely beautiful. And then second prize is a book from a young author called um, uh, goodness. Elijah, uh, Elijah, Fred- yeah, Elijah <laughs> Frederick. Um, he's the head. And what's interesting is he's the head of one of the charities that we're supporting, West Side Young Leaders Academy. So it's a bit of a full circle. So it just goes to show when you do pay into these amazing kind of coming of age, Um, rights of passage kind of organizations that's a a you know supplement um, education program for these young young boys and girls they are empowering them to be leaders and entrepreneurs and and just freeing them from the traditional curriculum that they can do anything and it just goes to show because Elijah is an author we've just you know we've just purchased his books and now his books will be going out to the winners and having to explain you know and hopefully those winners will know and be able if they don't have kids themselves they can give it to a child you know if that's in their circle in the you know in their ecosystem and for that child- what's his book elijah elijah frederick what's his book called? right um elijah frederick and it's called shifted code shifted um, Code, yeah yeah, yeah I've, so, I've seen it. yes yeah, so it's amazing amazing book especially the fact he i think he, he wrote that when he was like probably 10 10 11 um it's just, it's just, it, it it will inspire other kids. You know, when my son read it, he then wanted to create his own board game because he thought, oh, I can do that now. So it's just, it's just keeping kids um, inspired. inspired. Yeah, and then another thing that we, I've, I know that I'll be, I, I will be doing. It's going to be, I'll be working on that this um this next week, is on the first of this month. I've got a meeting with um uh, a few teachers from from schools in Brent. I've, I've assembled. Them, I've asked them to, I've invited them, and they're they're coming. I want them to do a count on all of the their their own personal school libraries, and the count is to see how many black authors um, are, yeah, Mm. um, and uh, and also just books with black, you know, a black
1: characters, yeah.
2: So um, so we can see what kind of representation is out there for our kids, um, and that will be kind of like my first mission. Will be will be slowly just kind of putting um black owned or um, black owned uh, um, pub, um public publications um authors uh just everything that represents um the culture into their libraries and try and make a, a small difference there so again because we're starting small i have to then and, and this is one of those situations as an entrepreneur you need to have those moments of realistic um realisticness where um I now know that the budget for for be able to give back will be smaller than I anticipated. So then what can I do with a small fund that will have a huge impact? And mm-hmm. you know, the the impact for our kids. I, I remember the I remember the day I got a um my first black doll. I was seven, it was gonna be my eighth birthday. And um I found it before my eighth birthday. So I was playing with it and then putting it back in the box and <laughs> see the <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I remember when I got it but I actually was in Canada at the time I was at my um at my relatives and on holiday and I just thought that Canada was this amazing place that had these black dolls and they 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 this world looks like me over here and that was my in my was my um, impression of Canada until the day I went there like three years ago and then I realized not like that anymore that <laughs> <laughs> <it> was mistaken <laughs> Good. but as a child because i had such a positive um cultural experience of playing with a, a dog that looked like me and that's where it came from and i had never seen anything like that in the uk um my brain always thought i'm gonna go live in canada because that's where um that's where they accept us that's what my brain thought wrong <laughs> but it just goes to show a small impact just that doll probably cost yeah me, just you know? that
1: doll how it made you feel
2: yeah, and how it made me feel. So I think that would be the same. I translate that same mm-hmm. feeling to a little, little, a young person seeing a book in their school when they're like, mm-hmm. you know, son was the Black only in his class in his school for three years before. Um, mm-hmm. But if he saw that in his library, would he feel so alone? Would he be able to then explain to his his um his classmates, you know, a bit more about his culture if there was something there to help him articulate it mm-hmm. or demonstrate it? So yeah. yeah that's that's going to be the 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 mission. So, okay see, so yeah. So so um just to be clear
1: so you've got the mm-hmm. prizes from the black owned businesses um and is that like on a weekly or a daily kind of like when how often yeah. does that happen the draws?
2: So, so the draws are so the the cash prize draw is um and at this moment it will be um 500 pounds. And again, this is the, the the actual draws and the prize fund amount is always going to be based on the how many players we have, which is why we're trying yeah. to target. But the, that cash prize draw will be every single Friday weekly. So we're claiming back Black Fridays. We're gonna we're gonna have that as ours again. <laughs> and okay. um, and then the daily prizes are this um are the actual Black owned products um and services. So that will be the daily prize, and um. And so, um, yeah, that going forward, we'll have the weekly cash, and then we'll have the daily black-owned prizes.
1: So, with with the with the, the black-owned businesses prizes, mm-hmm. um, is it one person that wins that every day, one yeah. individual, like an individual yeah. person,
2: individual person, okay, day, yeah, okay. And so that way, for me, that will that will give um, the brands exposure. Um, mm-hmm. They really have to them. We're paying; it's almost like us paying to. To do sampling for them, if that makes sense. So we buy their products from from them, but they're going out to, you know, to technically people right, owe your brand at all. But it's almost it's it's basically yeah, you're you're getting that exposure, getting that mm-hmm. the fact that customers will have your their products in the in their homes, and then hopefully we also encourage the brands we're working with them, the brands that we have in mind for the the next couple of months, to create um, the right kind of structure. In order to to have more business, so they're going to have um uh discount codes. We're making mm-hmm. sure that when we send the products to them, there's a little bit of information so they knew they know about the, the brand, a little bit of a bio story, and so forth. So that's 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 what we're going to be doing with them. Mm, that's that's brilliant. So can people
1: actually contact you? Like
2: brands contact
1: you if they feel that they'll be a good fit to yeah
2: definitely um you just email email us so um you can just email us at um info at blackcardlottery.com um and yeah i get back to you then that's how we've we've found some brands they've just come to us and you know and that's that's amazing that's what we want to that's what we want to do obviously there'll be a waiting list of what month we put you on because we we do want to make sure that there is some kind of parity with what's actually happening so you know so um if there is a like when we get to valentine's for example we may be wanting to do just restaurants and do um based on where you are we will then do like a restaurant uh, dinner that will probably be delivered and things like that so we want to mm-hmm. make it make sense and um you know things like that when it's a mother's day thing and you know find a, a, a florist that will be for that you know but we're trying to find you know amazing black owned brands so we don't want to have just a, the the just it to be skincare products all the time if if you know somebody who's who does leather and does you know we want to find all the different unique industries that's out there that we've been able to penetrate and that's that's the point because you know we don't we can sometimes be in the same industry all the time it'll be really good to see what other industries we've been able to get into, innovative interesting industries as well definitely yeah Yeah. (laughs)
1: Okay, so that's brilliant, that's brilliant. Okay, so when are you supposed to be doing the um, the first draw? So
2: the first, so that's, well, again, one of those situations where the, the chocolate had to come on board was, um, it was supposed to, we were supposed to end the onboarding uh, on Friday just gone, but we've had to extend it a whole additional month. So now it's cut-off date is the 19th of July and the first draw will be the 6th of um, of August
0: mm-hmm. so
2: we, we need people to spread the word understand what we're trying to do um, you know I keep saying that the, the the vision that keeps me going is understanding what the power of our money can do and not a lot of it either so if there were if you know if we did in the UK if we did have everybody you know buy into the vision and everybody spends that 10 pounds a month, we could be generating 20 million a month. Um, and that could go towards building all the things that we need in in, in our infrastructure, our own schools, our own, um, finally having mm-hmm. our, you know, our own medical centers and you know, things like that. Because there are there are problems out there, but we are not solving them. We're not, we're trying to hold other people accountable for our own our um, own problems. Yeah, part of the problems that we could fix ourselves. You know, I know that. I had a very close call when it was my first child because someone didn't, you know, understand or not even understand, didn't believe my pain. I witnessed that almost happen to my cousin. They was trying to push her out the door. They they packed up all her stuff and was trying to get her out the door to tell tell her also that you're you know you're it's your first child you're not in labor really go back home. But she had the baby twenty minutes later, and I was really common. Very common. That's very common (laughs) with black women. But again, we need our own centers to make sure that we bring this 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 um statistic, you know, st- statistic, of you know we're four times more likely to die in childbirth, and I can believe it. I was one of the, I was one of those those um I was, I was very teetering near that that percentage to be part me of me too, me too, me too. When I think about it, it was it's really scary. Like I, you know, we can't look at it the same way other cultures look at it. You know, they didn't they didn't believe me at all. And I begged, I begged. I've never begged for anything, but jeez, I was begging <laughs> to listen to me. Um, so and in- Look what happened to that Nicole? Sea. Yes. See, there you go. She had pains in her chest for weeks and
1: they just kept on saying, oh, it's a normal thing. It's normal. It's normal.
2: And uh, we need- month before she was supposed to give birth, died exactly and that's what i'm saying we just we 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 can be our own solution of and one thing about me is I'm. Um, i think the pride i have in i can fix my own problems um i used to see that as a bad thing when i was younger like my friends used to say so you know ask for help when you need it and i get it and i'm learning to do that that's a that's something i'm learning i'm not that i'm not that naturally like that I will I, would, I so much so there's a story my 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 mum always tells me there's a time when I I bought a new bed and it was like my first bed I bought with my my first little you know um little job and the bed frame I I she said I'll come home and help you do it and she told me a time you can't tell me a time and not show up <laughs> yeah because <laughs> you know because my brain starts thinking no nope, I need this done and I'm just a doer so I went and got the encyclopedias. If everyone remembers those thick, old, heavy things, I bought them from downstairs.
1: Britannica, yeah, or the World.
2: Britannica, <laughs> you <know> yeah, <laughs> from downstairs. Brought them all the way up a spiral staircase. Put, you know, had to stack them up six high on each side to put on the individual legs to prop up the frame so that I could screw it in myself. And I made that bed myself. So, um. Because I'm, just, that's just who I am. i got to do it myself. And I feel like as a culture, we just need to find them encyclopedias, prop up stuff on them, and <laughs> get it done. We just got to get it done. I don't I really want to I'll wait on nobody. Look how long we've been waiting. If I waited for my mom, she was supposed to come home at one o'clock that day. She didn't come home till six. What was I going to be sleeping on that day? The, the Just the beer mattress? I don't think so. So I got my encyclopedias. Propped it up and got to screwing. So I think that's what we got to do. We've got to, we've got to. Stop where it. there's a wheel, there's a way, isn't it? Yeah. Like where uh, there's a wheel, and it's really, it's just the most simplest thing. Like, and that's why people ask, why did I pick the lottery as the vehicle to do this kind of? Um, this exactly. Race? Yeah. That's exactly. Because, because people don't realize that the lottery was not because oh, I want a lottery business. No, the 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 the, re- the my mindset was solely on we have a funding problem as a culture what can legal Massive problem. that was it and, I, and I, that's all I did that was what I did when I got home from that meeting in December and that's why I said from January I was just researching what is how can we legally crowdfund indefinitely and so when I started to research other cultures that have used what have they used what has worked what hasn't worked um every single thing that came up and i'm talking about going back as far as egyptian times i went back to was lotteries ancient egypt ancient egypt used to they used lotteries to um for even for diplomatic selection so they used it for everything they then they crowd they they saw it as crowdfunding they built universities libraries all these amazing things The, the, the they're the most purest culture to use it unfortunately when it got into the hands of this country it was not used for good <laughs> um queen of the first she 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 um created the lottery to build the ships the ship went to you know where and got you know who and look at where, look yep. where we are now so you know so the history got dirty by you know it was dirtied and um the, you know lotteries were made dirty by people but its original form was to help people come out of poverty Mm -hmm. by crowdfunding. That was one of its purposes. And also just to create funding for development. And right now we are underdeveloped as a community in this country and we need development. And there was no other way for it to be a continual um, uh, vehicle so that when I'm gone and dust and a memory, um, that it will continue. This is the only way. You know, okay. <laughs> that, that's, how I, that's how I um. That's how I came to it. It was not the case of I just want to have my own lottery. No, it was that was the only answer to us the problem I was trying to fix. And I think when people understand that about me and about the the the, the development and the, the the reason why this is, they will get it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. If you could just give like a. A, a, a small
0: paragraph
1: mm-hmm. of exactly why, like very clearly, exactly why someone or people should sign up, mm-hmm. to pay the ten pounds a month. Just give a quick reason, an explanation why. So, you know, so it's just, just, just for people that have a doubt. So, if say for example, someone's been on your website and if they read through all of that stuff, they're like, okay, yeah, great, but I'm not signing up.
2: Yeah, yeah. I say to that individual and everybody that's listening really the reason why you should play the black card lottery is this is a solution it is a singular system that allows every single person that cares about the community because you don't have to be just black anyone who cares about the community and realizes that there are fundamental changes that are required and there's fundamental infrastructure that needs to be built Mm-hmm. And your £10 in a month will help to go towards circulating the black pound, building infrastructure within our own community, um, and giving us the ability to free ourselves from a lot of dis a lot of injustices in how we can operate our businesses, um, how we can operate our own growth. Mm-hmm. That's how I would look at it. I wouldn't look at it as gambling because the whole definition of gambling is for you to gain something. If you pay into it and you win, give it back to the charity. It's just that simple.
1: Okay, excellent.
2: Okay, so people can sign up.
1: So we can wrap this up now. So people can sign up through the Black Card Lottery website. Indeed, yeah. So it's not the Black Card Lottery. It's www.blackcardlottery.com. Yeah. dot com mm-hmm. and then, and you're also on Instagram as well. Are you, are you on Facebook,
2: Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn? Um, we're even yeah. on a platform called Black Chat. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember Black Chat. Does it even still exist? I didn't know that Black Chat still exists. Yeah, it still exists. It's going to be going through rebranding shortly because um, there is like a, a there's another like Black Chat YouTube channel thing or a show. So I know that mm. the, uh, um wants to re um brand but no there um black chat is the black version of Facebook and it's still Facebook, its, yeah still in its growth processes but it's amazing the information that's on there and the links and the people that are on there are very like minded so yeah I rem- I
1: remember black chat and I was on I was on black chat when I was in uni I was on black chat and I was on this other platform called Black Peeps which was run by a friend of mine and the, the the whole thing collapsed because he didn't have enough funding. He was a black guy. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly like Facebook. It was brilliant. It was exactly like Facebook. I think it was over about 100,000 or 200,000 people that were on there. Yeah. And it was brilliant. If it still existed today, that would be the perf- perfect platform because it was a, a UK-based... Yeah. Like, he, this, he's in the UK.
2: Uh, this one as well. And it it was... um it's, it, Do you know it, it's, what I love about it is that its usability is there. I like what he's trying to do. He's trying to find influences for it because it's in its growth. It's in that that growth period, just like we are. So I'm hoping we can just grow together. Black
1: chat. Are you talking yeah. about black chat?
2: Yeah. But isn't it the,
0: the black chat from back in the day?
2: It is, but it's been changed because now he's he's it's re I think he needed to reprogram everything. So when when it when the new version came up he needs to onboard all the old people but they have to volunteer themselves to do it so i think people that was on there and it wasn't getting the same kind of um yeah again funding um mm. at the time because he didn't couldn't quite monetize it to have like um there wasn't like adverts and stuff like that the way facebook runs and whatnot so i think trying to create a new a new thing and now do he's in the process of going to be launching the advert element to it and stuff like that so as a business that would be when i'll be interested in doing that but right now I'm just kind of it's nice nice being on there chatting and see what's happening and stuff like that so yeah
1: well I I I definitely I should sign up then because I think that'll be good for me as well wouldn't it definitely Um, yeah 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 so you're on all those platforms black chat um
2: facebook twitter Mm
0: -hmm.
2: instagram LinkedIn, email well everything I mean on google business too (laughs) yeah info at blackcardlottery.com indeed Yeah. yeah Yeah.
1: If somebody wants to email you. If any brands want to email you to like sign up or whatever. Exactly. If, if
2: if you are somebody that really is not like technologically savvy, um, and you don't have a way to sign up via the website, you can call and we can do the form over the phone with you, or we can send it via the post to you as, as well. So we we'll do that. Oh. And again, back again. Old yeah, this is me pivoting again because the my database is the more mature audience but then when mature. I
0: gave
2: yeah when I gave my um when I told my the elders my aunties and my family to sign up all of them had to get a grandchild <laughs> or, or we we help them to help them so again uh-huh, yeah. as much as we sometimes think about having the newest things this weekend I realized I've, I've just um create I've just printed out the forms and I'm going to go I'm just just to see how they look but now I'm going to be sending that to a print company to have a um a printed version, because, again, I've, I've, I've been able to, you know, learn from what my, my users need. So your cell phone number is on the website then? It is indeed, yeah.
1: Okay. All right, then. That's brilliant. It was wonderful to have you on and go through all of this with you. Brilliant. I had a great time. Um, yeah, so I'll speak to you again soon. Brilliant. I bet everybody wants chocolate now, huh? <laughs> I'm, I'm in some of that uh, galaxy now. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Thanks for having
1: me all right have a great day take care bye.
2: bye
0: thank you so much for watching episode two of women in business rock definitely head over to black card lottery to sign up if you're in the uk if you want to contribute to the elevation and the advancement of the black community also before we go Our business is Pink Intrigue. Um, I've got the Instagram page in the description of this podcast. We create written content for black owned brands. And we have a special offer at the moment for um, a content writing club. You can check that out on the Pink Intrigue Instagram page. Leave us a DM if you're interested. Also, One Million Black-Owned Brands is a website that we've created to compile a list of one million black-owned brands over the next couple of years. Um, and some of the profits we will be going towards providing safe and clean housing for women in Ghana and also providing help for the young people out here in Ghana as well. So definitely do check that out and stay tuned for episode three. Bye.